Well, here we are. I do have a word that God put on my heart. And, uh, you know, Veronica and I uh, were in Vietnam a few weeks back. Uh, we've been back two weeks. That was really cool. Uh, we, it was a team of us, 10 there. And um, you'd be really proud of the team. They really um, represented you well. And we were doing some stuff there with, um, with Kelvin and, and Rebecca um, Windsor. Um, who we've done lots of things over many years, and Rebecca was part of our youth group here. was actually in Veronica's connect group when she was very young, which is really cool for us to see her. And, um, and they, did a really, they do a great job in a tough place, you know. And um, whenever I go to a trip, I always try and learn a little bit of the language. And uh, not that I know too much, but, uh, you know, Zing Chow is hello. Ban Kwe Kom is how are you. Vui Long Cho Cafe Coffee, please. Important. Yep. And ten toy last Stuart. My name is Stuart. It's important. But even though I can say those little phrases, they're sort of set phrases, set sentences that I learned, I can't really speak Vietnamese. Now, I can say some words, but I don't really speak Vietnamese. And so it's hard to have a, a conversation in Vietnamese when you don't speak Vietnamese. Just throwing that out there, okay? And, uh, and so... One of the first things we did as a team when we were there is uh, we went into the offices of um, AOG um, World Relief, which is the guys we're working with, and, uh, and we were having lunch with 20 of the kids uh, that we paid for heart operations this year, which I think Pastor Jack said last week there was 80. Is that right? 80 all up over the year. Wow. $2,000 a pop. Well done, Imaginations Church. Yeah. But we got to meet 20 of these kids and their families and we had lunch with them. And, uh, man, it was the most impacting thing for me and it was the first day of the trip, really. <laughs> because, uh, you know, um, we, we played some games with them. We had some lunch. We tried to make it an Aussie theme and uh, we had Aussie flags and koalas for them to put on their shirts and stuff like that. But uh, I was sort of standing in there's an area where some um, uh, lounges were and the first... Um, child that came in, she's eight, and she's there with her dad. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to say hello. And I said, sing chow. And in English, he says, hello, back to me. Okay, cool. And then I said, tentoy la Stuart. And he says in English, his name. My name's this, right? Okay, so we're both, he's practicing his English, I'm practicing my Vietnamese. Um, and, this is, and then I very quickly realized that he doesn't speak English and I don't speak Vietnamese. So then our Conversation stalls, right? Thank goodness his daughter, once again, who's eight, could speak English. And she was sort of translating for the two of us. But as we sat down, I said to her, oh, does your dad want a drink? And she says, Dad, do you want a drink? And she said, and he goes, yes. So I go get a drink. I come back. She's gone. And it's him and me. I give him the drink. And we're just sitting there on his lounges. And then I'm thinking, all right, I pull out my phone with my translator. And I'm asking him questions. How old are you? And then he's texting back to me and he's asking. And we've and we got this really disjointed conversation because we don't speak the language, all right? You with me? Yeah. It's okay. We're sort of going a little bit. And as we're doing that, um, one of the guys from the, the place we're there with, Dim, he gets up and he starts explaining in Vietnamese what we're doing today. He starts saying some of the games. We've got some food. We're going to have a lot of fun. And then in that, I can't understand it because he's in Vietnamese, this dad sits on the armchair of my chair. And he gets his arm around me like this and he gets the phone. He takes a selfie of us together. 
and then grabs his daughter and brings his daughter over to me and stands her in front of me like this, my hands on her shoulders, and he takes a photo of us together. And then Kelvin comes and gets the phone and the three of us get a photo together. And I realise, oh, he thinks I'm the guy that's paid for the operation. He thinks I'm the guy, me, but it was us. And I'm trying to explain it wasn't just me, it was our church. He's not really listening. But I want to tell you, our conversation quickly changes to being very animated. Why? Because he wants to know about the man that paid for the operation. (laughs) Thank you, Imaginations Church, for letting me have that moment on your behalf. Thank you, Imaginations Church, for doing 80 heart operations. I could have actually gone home the next day because that was my moment of the... I think we did lots of other stuff on the trip. It's just this beautiful moment. Then he wants to know what I do for a job. All those sort of things. Once again, still with the translator, but Kelvin was helping us now. Kelvin doesn't speak that great English, either, even though he lives there. And what this dad said was, she's eight. Um, got told that she was going to die before she was 15 because she has a hole in her heart. Yeah. He said, her heart has a hole. That's what he said. And it's okay. And he said, and that made me hurt. It meant his heart was hurt. His heart was hurt because she had a hole in her heart because he realised I'm never going to have enough time to raise the money for her operation. Thank you, Imaginations Church. And I said to him, she had a hole in her heart and you had a wounded heart, but you have stirred my heart today. And we hugged and embraced. And uh, it was just this really tender moment. Like I said, for me, it was my moment of the uh, missions trip. I want to talk to you today about hearts. Because I know that God is interested in the hearts of people. And we know we're talking about that she physically had a problem in her heart. But God's into hearts. He is. God is interested in the matters of the heart. I came back with a stirred heart. We could have gone downstairs and they said, these five other kids need heart operations. I would have tried to pay. I would have tried to pay. Beautiful. You know, 1 Samuel 16, 16.7 says, um, and this is actually Samuel has gone to anoint the new king and, uh, and, and David and his brother, all his brothers were out first and they all looked apart. And he said, these aren't the ones. And then David comes in, a scrawny little kid. And God says to him, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I want to tell you, there's lots of verses. You could look up lots about God looking at hearts. I made sure I had some tissues in my pocket. But God's interested in our heart. You know, we have a whole city of people with a hole in their heart. A whole city. And the hole looks like Jesus. The hole looks like Jesus. And I hope that it hurts your heart a little bit. Because out of a hurt heart, God can stir your heart to do different things. Heart's got to hurt. You don't really get stirred. You kind of go, oh, that sounds sad. 
But out of a hurt heart, oh, that hurts me. That hurts me. And God can stir that into something and we can do something different and we can change stuff. I want to look at the uh, passage in the Bible uh, in Nehemiah. And uh, maybe you've never read Nehemiah. It's an Old Testament book. We don't hear too many sermons on it very often. Maybe you have. But I just thought I'm going to look at the first two chapters, a couple of bits of the first two chapters, because I really see a couple of parallels with my story uh, about that dad and me, but also our city and us. And so I'm going to try and bring some parallels there. And um, I'm going to read stuff and then I'm going to talk as we go. Is that cool? So I'm going to read a bit of the Bible and I'm going to try and paraphrase bits that I miss out just because of time. Okay, so we look at at Nehemiah chapter 1 and it says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev and the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Now that probably sounded a bit weird. I'll explain it when I come back in a second. Uh, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days... I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. As you keep reading, I'm not going to read it, but he actually starts praying and he sort of says some of the prayers that he says. He stands in the gap for his people. He repents for his people. He, you know, he starts talking about Moses and the, and the promises of Moses and all that sort of stuff. So he's trying to remind God, hey, hang on, don't forget us, right? He does all that and we get to the end of the chapter and then there's actually uh, the last verse is quite long. But the last little bit, it's its own little paragraph and it will come up on the screen and it just says, I was a cupbearer to the king. It's its own little paragraph just before the next chapter. I just found that interesting. We're going to talk about that in, in, in a second. And as we go to chapter 2, it says, In the month of Nisan and the 20th year of King Azatar, uh when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid because you weren't supposed to be sad in front of the king. And I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it that you want? Or what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Okay, and then later on in the chapter, in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 2, so what he does, uh, sorry, he says that to the king. The king grants his wish. The king says, you know what? I'm going to send officers. I'm going to send soldiers with you. I'm going to send some materials, some parts. It's amazing. Yeah? And um, yeah, I'm going to um, send you letters so you can get safe passage all the way there. And he goes all the way back to Jerusalem with all these things from the king. And I know that our theme is a king and a cause. I know we're talking about a different king when we're talking about our theme. But this is a worldly king wanting to finance a godly cause. I love it. Isn't that what we want to do? I, I, I hear some of Andrew's stories about West Care and I'm thinking, man, 
the amount of businessmen and people that want to put money into Westcare and they don't even love the Lord themselves. And I know that one day they will, we're believing, because I know some of them, but they don't even know the... I don't even know God yet, but they've given hand over fist money to Andrew to help our community and our city. Praise Jesus. Isn't there some sort of parallel here with this story? That the king, and you can read it yourself because it goes a bit deeper, and, and, but this worldly king jumps on board with Nehemiah's stirred heart. Why? Because he had a hurt heart for something in his city. I love it. And then we get to verse 11 and verse 12, and it says, I went to Jerusalem. And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. And it says there was no other mount other than himself. So he was the only one on a horse. But I love it. It says, I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart. I love it. So that's a stirred heart. See, God will tell you things and stir your heart out of our own, in the natural hurt heart when we hear bad news. So I'm going to get back to the start. I'm just going to break it down a little bit. I love the first bit, right? The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. What he's really saying is, Ten toila stuart. <laughs> hey, let me introduce myself. This is who I am. Yeah? I'm trying to catch your heart. So we go, oh, okay, this is, okay, right, awesome. And then it says, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. I love this. Citadel is probably a word that most people don't know. Maybe many of you have never even heard it. I want to tell you, this is a word that's in my vocabulary. We're talking about words that we know, words that we say. Um, hopefully, I don't know where Cody is. Cody, you know this word, yeah? Citadel. Yeah, okay. At, when we get to work, Cody works for me. When I work at the defence base out here, where there's big, bad, explosive bombs that I work around, the safe place to go is the Citadel. It says it on the building. It's the first building we come into. It's where we sign on to say, hey, we're in the area. And we even have a little name and we push a little thing over to our names on there when we're there. So everyone knows, oh, so when, the, when a bad thing happens and everyone and then we go into lockdown, we all go into the Citadel. There's no windows in the Citadel. It's two foot thick, well, um, 600 millimetres thick concrete, reinforced. It's supposed to be the safe place in case one of those bombs goes off. Big massive blast door that has big weights on it. So when they open it up, we've got to ring a buzzer and they come and look in the camera and they go, oh, it's Stuart and Cody. And they open the door for us and you come in and the door closes and they lock it and big latches go across. So you're safe. But what happens is sometimes you can go in there and it's sunny and you come out hours later and it's raining because you didn't know because you're totally isolated from the outside world. You don't have to think about the outside world. Because your own little box there. You've got your own little kitchen, you've got your own little workshop, and they have cameras on different things to see what's happening. But that's the safest place there, and it's called the Citadel, and that's where Nehemiah just happens to be. That's where he lives. He lives with the king, the safest place there. When it all goes bad, that's the safest place to be. That's the fortress, that's where all the guards are, all that sort of stuff. And I love it how that's where he's, he's setting this up. When I was in this safe place, not exposed to the outside world. I didn't have to think about others. All I do is think about myself. But here I am. Safe. Maybe that's where some of us are sometimes. Sometimes we can just be around church people all the time or just stay in this little place and we just think we're just safe. Or even in Australia, this safe place, this place of prosperity and blessing. 
sometimes that's where we are. And, and I just love it how he opens it up with that way. He's explaining who he is and where he's at. I love it. And then he gets excited. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some others and questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also Jerusalem. And just over 100 years before this, right, it's 120-something years, um, Jerusalem gets uh, taken over uh, by an enemy, yeah? It gets wrecked. The place gets wrecked. And a whole pile of important people, smart people, all that sort of stuff get taken as captives. We know that that's Daniel. That's Sadrach, Meshach and Abednego. That's those, those books of the Bible, right? They get taken. And they get taken to Babylon. Well, about 50 years later, Babylon gets taken over by another king and army. It gets taken over and all those people, they say, you're not captives anymore. You can go home if you want. A whole pile of them still stayed there. Like Nehemiah. His family's been there for over 100 years. There he is, okay? So he's still there, but he's not captive. He has a job. Other people went back. And so these guys have gone back. He's excited to hear because when all that happened, um, Ezra, there's a book of Ezra, leads a, a, a whole pile of people go back there to fix up Jerusalem. So he's expecting that it's all fixed up, that everything's okay. And he's excited to hear. He says brother, but it's probably just you know, a Jewish brother. He wants to hear about the place, expecting good things. But that's not what he hears. They said to me, those who survived the exile, yeah, they go back, uh, and back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. You know, what does, what does a wall do? You know, the walls of Jerusalem bring protection, bring comfort, bring safety. And I've got to think, I look at our city and there's multiple generations of people that haven't had that in their lives. Now we say multi-generations of not only just not having Jesus, but just things happening in their, in their families. We're talking about 100 and something years here. And, and I, I see that in our city. I don't know how that makes you feel. But when Nehemiah finds that out, when he's expecting good things because he has good things, he's in a good place. I love his reaction. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. What? Expecting good. Hearing bad. Oh, that hurts my heart. Just like that dad. Just heard some bad news. And then the revelation of I can't afford it. Oh, I bet you he sat down and wept that day with his wife and the other family. I bet you they did. And I hope, I hope that my reaction would be the same as this when, I, when you get the revelation of that. Oh, my gosh. Hang on, I've got to sit down. It oh, hurts my heart. I love how it finishes and he does this huge prayer. I hope we're okay tonight. It's this huge prayer, but it finishes almost with a lowering of himself. That I was just a cupbearer to the king. That's how the chapter finishes. And I wonder, yeah, we can go to conferences or we can hear talks and we go, oh, that really stirs me or that oh, it really hurts. But after a couple of days of really feeling it, which he says for a couple of days he prays and he fasts, maybe you just feel okay now and you forget again what's happened. Yeah? But that's not Nehemiah. But, you know, and maybe for us it would be, all I was was an electrician. What can I do? What can I do in my city? I don't know. We'll put your own job in there if you want. But this is all I am. This is all I am. A cupbearer. And then 
when we go into, into chapter 2 straight after that, it says, in the month of Nisan. So now he's naming another month. And I tell you, I looked up the difference between Kislev and Nisan, four months. This is four months later, after doing the prayer and the fasting. So now four months later, I just thought this was an interesting fact. That's why they actually mentioned these, ver- these months here. Because it's four months later and he's still feeling the same way. He hasn't let that hurt go away because it's turning into a stirring. Yes, he hurt. Yes, he acted on the hurt. But it's now four months later and he's still hurt. So much that he's sad in the presence of the king. And the king notices it. I just thought that was interesting. That I don't want to be someone that two weeks out of Vietnam, I'm still feeling sad about it. I still want to feel, I want to be still sad about it in four months' time. Because I don't want it just to be a hurt heart. I want it to be a stirred heart. There's a difference. Yeah. I already said in this next bit about the king um, gets involved. This worldly king gets involved in what is stirring in his heart now. And he even gets to verbalise that to the king about what he wants. I just wonder whether the same question that the king asks him, what does our king King Jesus say of you, and if he said, what is it that you want? Because we have a king that can supply us with the stuff that we need. <laughs> if he was going to say today, what is it you want? Do you even know? Have you allowed your hurt heart to stir in your mind and your thought as you seek the Lord? Let him talk to you about what, what is it you want? What do you want to do? What would you want in your wildest dreams? What could happen? Because that's the God that we serve. I love it. And I love how in that last bit of the chapter, verse 11 and verse 12, where he says, when he goes and checks out how bad it is, and he really sees what's going on, he goes out at night time and he goes and checks it out. And I just love it. He had told, uh, he had not told anyone what God had put in his heart because that's what happens out of a hurt heart, God stirs something in you and he puts something in that's bigger than you. Yeah. It's bigger than you. I hope that God's stirring your heart and I hope your heart hurts a little bit tonight because mine still does. But I hope it does because out of that place he'll stir. I'm going to ask you some questions and as I close, do you have a broken heart for the people of our city? Maybe you don't. Would you allow God to stir your heart for our city and for its people? Maybe, just maybe, he can do a miracle in our city. And if you keep on reading the story of Nehemiah, you realise that he rebuilt those walls. He empowers people at the front of their own homes to build the wall. And in 52 days, he does a miracle. And those walls then completely changes the city. Amazing what God can do with a stirred heart, with what you've got something on your heart. Um, and what would the king ask you today? I already said that before. And would your answer be about yourself? Would it be about others? I oh, know. I want to pray that over you tonight. Um, I'm going to do that now. Let's close our eyes. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're an amazing, powerful God. Lord God, I know that there's more power and authority in you than anything else. Your power and authority is over all things, Lord God. And we look to you tonight uh, as a, a community, Lord God, who wants to impact our greater community. Lord God, give us revelation. 
Stir our hearts, Lord God, for craziness, crazy things, Lord God, in you. Lord, empower us. Equip us, Lord God, for all the things that you want us to do, Lord God. But let us be stirred in ourselves, Lord God, to do something out of the box. Crazy, Lord God, for you, Lord Jesus. And we love you tonight, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen.